Welcome to Is This Real Life? A Bravo podcast that relates our favorite shows to our own lives in the world around us. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, real lifers. For those of you who celebrate or got some time off, I hope you had a nice 4th of July. I had a lovely restful vacation in Door County, but I am back, and so are the Real Housewives of Potomac. And those of you who listen regularly know that that is my absolute favorite Housewives franchise on Bravo, and I'm just so excited they're back. My guest this week, Jordan Ross Myers, was a little bit behind on the episode, so we didn't get into it as much, but I want to share my thoughts with you all now, kind of going through the cast one by one. So... Let me start off by saying that I think this is potentially the best Potomac cast we've ever had. I am so, so, so excited about each and every one of these ladies. And I am going to reject the notion that you have to choose teams because I like Giselle and I like Karen. I like Candace and I like Ashley. And I I don't know. I think they all bring something really important. So starting off with Candace, so her new house is so nice, but it is pretty far from Potomac. I think it's in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, which is, I don't know, maybe an hour away. You have to go the whole way around D.C. to get there. It's southeast of D.C. and Potomac is northwest of D.C. So it was really nice to see her as a stepmom. I think it softens her a bit, but I was kind of concerned that her stepdaughter wasn't speaking at all in any situation, and maybe she's camera shy and all of that, but it made me a little nervous. So hopefully uh, she either warms up in front of the cameras or they stop making her film, (laughs) Um, because I felt pretty bad about that. Then we get to Giselle, who's got this massive West Wing. It looks like it's a house built on top of her house. I don't know. That is definitely in Maryland and not in D.C. because I am redoing my bathrooms right now, and I had to get so many goddamn permits. I think I had to get five permits to redo my bathrooms. I'm not even moving plumbing. I'm not doing anything, let alone building a house on top of my house or an entire wing. Anyways, it looks kind of ridiculous, I think, Um, at least from the outside. On the inside, it's, well, I don't know. (laughs) Giselle's taste isn't so great. Um, So she's saying things aren't going that well with Jamal. Shocker. This is uh, taped kind of pretty soon after last season's reunion where we all saw, you know, Monique's uh, accusations of Pastor Holy Horror. And I think that Giselle was really embarrassed. And I really wish she would be honest with us and just say, you know what? He embarrassed me. He was unfaithful to me. And it's not going well as a result of that, rather than saying COVID. And I can understand what she's saying. Like, we don't know how long we're going to be separate, living apart, dealing with this pandemic. I have no idea when the pandemic is going to end. But to only blame the pandemic doesn't feel very genuine. Then we've got Robin, who is probably the most relatable person I've seen with regards to COVID. She's very depressed and is having trouble getting out of bed in the morning and getting her day started and cooking for her kids. So she's ordering them Chick-fil-A. And Juan, instead of, I don't know, I think trying to talk to Robin about 
her likely depression and trying to find some solutions. He's just kind of almost doing what I think a coach would because, you know, he is a basketball coach and being like, you got to get up. You got to do this. You got to do that. Oh, yeah. And we should have more kids and they should be girls and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I don't know. I feel like he was not um, helpful in that situation, but he was so, so relatable when he was in that juice joint and not taking off his mask. I mean, that was like the most real I've seen anyone behave (laughs) with regards to COVID on Bravo. I want to yell through the screen, a vaccine is coming. Hold on. (laughs) Keep hope alive. (laughs) Then we've got Ashley, who's extremely pregnant, not having sex with Michael while pregnant and doesn't think Michael is cheating on her. And you know what? Maybe he's not because we're in the middle of a pandemic. And I don't think he's going to want to get his wife sick if he runs off with someone else. But I don't know. Maybe that's me being very naive. Ashley's also like the most adorable pregnant person when she was trying to put on those heels. That went, oh my God, bless her heart. Um, Karen, she's planning her vow renewal with Ray. She doesn't want to invite Giselle. She's definitely not on good terms with Giselle. But I have to hand it, I love me some grand dame. I I love everything about Karen. I find her so hilarious. And then, of course, we've got Wendy, who has decided to have breast augmentation and some tweaks done. And when pressed, she doesn't say what those tweaks are on camera, but on social media, she said that she had a Brazilian butt lift and that she mentioned it on camera, but it was cut. And I don't know what to believe. I'm inclined to believe Wendy, but it's like, why did she say tweaks? Like, I I don't know. So I did this deep dive on Brazilian butt lifts on my Instagram stories, and I encourage you all to look at it. I'm not big on Instagram stories. I'm trying to get into them more, but I went a little bit more in depth. And it's after I found out that Brazilian butt lifts are the most dangerous cosmetic procedure you can have done. And they are so dangerous, in fact, that Dr. Terry Dubrow won't do them. He won't perform them. So I explained what they are and why they're so dangerous. Um, they've been banned in multiple countries. And I, I don't know, maybe this is me finally seeing a flaw in Wendy because I really loved her. I think she's so brilliant and so amazing, but there's definitely something off with her. One, if she's going to be on a show like this and, you know, there's something off with everyone on these shows. And two, like if she's willing to go under the knife for a procedure that has a one in 3000 chance of resulting in death when she's got three kids and a husband, I don't know. I've also heard some stuff about Wendy from people in the DMV community who are Nigerian who feel like she's not accurately representing things about her mom and their culture on camera. And I'll get more into that probably throughout the season as it makes sense. But I'm starting to see Wendy a little differently. And I don't want to judge someone for having cosmetic surgery, but I will judge them for having a procedure that is dangerous and that the plastic surgery community is very divided over and wants to ban, basically. So Anyways, speaking of plastic surgery, we've got Mia, and she's had a lot of it, including four boobs. Like, did she mean that she had four breast surgeries or two surgeries, like 
four different her boot each boob was done twice i <laughs> i have to know what this means four boobs um so I thought it was really rude, though, when Wendy was uh, trying to steer the conversation away from what tweaks she had done and was like, what about you? You look like you've had a lot done. And I just thought that was um, nasty and rude. And it's not something that she had to do. It's a new person in her home. It's new to the cast. I thought they were all pretty not that nice um, and judgmental towards Mia. But we'll see how, how things continue. Mia, of course, is 36 years old, and I'm not trying to be rude about this, but she seems like an older 36, and maybe that's because she's a grandma or a step-grandma, because her husband, who is 68, already has grandkids, and she's got three kids of her own. Now, she's not the best at arithmetic, because she kept on trying to explain the age difference between her and her husband, and she got it wrong twice, which was definitely some Phaedra math and made me laugh pretty hard. So then the really kind of fiery part of the episode, no pun intended, was between Giselle and Karen when they go to Wendy's house where she reveals her boob surgery or whatever, the nude interlude. And they just, it's like gloves off. And I know a lot of people have said this, but I have to agree. I think that Karen and Giselle had a sort of set of rules for sparring on the show for the first five seasons. And there were certain things that they just wouldn't bring up on camera and certain lines they wouldn't cross. And I think they've both just decided, screw it. I'm going to bring up everything, which is exactly what Giselle said. Like, she's like, it's not you know, everyone knows I don't like Karen. And I've decided I'm going to tell her whole truth, like the whole truth, the drunk truth, the broke truth, the cheating truth. And I'll spread it all over town. Don't worry, I won't tell it all tonight. And she shouldn't threaten Karen unless she like, I just don't think she's as quick as Karen. And I love Giselle. And she's messy. And she's beautiful to look at. And you know, she's got a mess of a personal life. But I just don't think she can take it. And Karen just goes after her and talking about her fiery box and her coochie on fire. And I don't know all of the hot box. I think it's pretty nasty of Karen to talk about or allude to the fact that Giselle has an STD, especially if it's her like, it doesn't matter what STD, but herpes, is, like one in five Americans has herpes. So if you're listening to this with more than one person, the chances are that they also have herpes. Like, it's just a really common thing, like HPV. And to say that that's a reason that she can't keep a man because she has a sexually transmitted infection, like, that's really nasty. I didn't like when they talked about it on Southern Charm and they made this huge deal of Danny getting chlamydia from Shep. Like, STIs are infections, just like strep throat is an infection, just like pneumonia is an infection. And we just need to stop stigmatizing them so much and making it as if it's a character flaw if you get a sexually transmitted infection. So I thought that was really nasty. She also called her a broken whore from Hampton University, which I mean, calling someone a whore, I, I, I did laugh, though. I just I don't know if I can handle it, but I love it. I love seeing the sparring between Giselle and Karen. It's like 
I don't, but I don't know if I'm ready for this gloves off stuff because I'm worried they're going to start going after each other's, I don't know, kids and family and like really nasty stuff. So we'll see what happens, but I'm just really excited for the season. I really enjoy all of these women and it's just, it's my favorite Housewives franchise. And if you're not watching, please do. And also please watch Family Karma, which was absolutely incredible this week. Amrith finally proposed to his longtime boyfriend, Nicholas. But before that happened, Nicholas went to go see Amrith's mother, Lavina, to chat with her about try to get into Amrit's head. Is he ever going to be ready to get married? Is he ever going to propose? And she knew that he was proposing and had to bite her tongue and also gave him some beautiful advice on connecting with his parents who are evangelical Christians and haven't been the most accepting of him being gay. And she said, maybe they're just waiting for you to open the door. And I thought that was really beautiful. I just absolutely love family karma. And my heart kind of broke this week a little bit for Brian, who lost his job because of COVID, and then is afraid to tell his girlfriend Monica for fear that her and her family will think that maybe he's unworthy of being with her. And I don't know, it just it broke my heart. I want him to be open and honest. I hope that they are open minded and aren't going to judge the fact that he lost his job. But it worries me. Um, and we'll have to see what comes next. The other thing I wanted to mention, because I had it in my Instagram stories, is Ebony Williams' voting record. So we've all seen her on the season of The Real Housewives of New York, and she's been very vocal about the importance of voting and finds Trump to be dangerous and aligned with white supremacy. And then we find out that in 2016, with, you know, people aren't going to agree with me, but I believe that back then he was also aligned with white supremacy and she didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. She wrote in a candidate. And number one, this makes me completely understand her friendship with Leah. But number two, I just I find it hypocritical and not everyone's going to agree. And that's okay. You guys don't have to agree with me. But I find it hypocritical that she was talking about the dangers of um, Trump and white supremacy, and I believe he had those same dangers back in 2016, yet she didn't do everything in her power to make sure that he didn't win. And it wasn't, it's not just voting and writing the candidate in, because I know she lives in New York and it's going to go blue regardless, but it kind of opens it up for other people who are saying, you know what? I'm going to have I'm going to write in someone because this other person isn't my perfect candidate or I disagree with them on these other issues. I just I don't know, the whole thing is really wild to me and I also can't reconcile that with her talking to Ramona and trying to find common ground and saying, "Well, oh, at least we can be excited that there's a woman in the White House." Because if she truly cared just about being a woman in the White House or any woman in the White House, then why wouldn't she vote for the woman who was on the ticket to go to the White House if she won. So again, not everyone's going to agree, but I find it hypocritical. And I haven't seen 
anything where Ebony is saying, oh, you know what? I was wrong in 2016. I made a mistake. I underestimated Donald Trump or I didn't fully realize um, the hate that was associated with him back then. But now I understand it. And now I'm, you know, clearly my work speaks for itself. I just haven't seen that. So I find it kind of disappointing. Anyway, thank you all again so much for listening. I am so excited to have Jordan Ross Myers on the podcast this week. He is so funny. He is the man behind the parody Twitter accounts, Don Gunvaldson and Lee Radswell. He's just so funny. He's got a great podcast called Pretty Corrupt Podcast, which started this spring. And I think you guys are all going to enjoy our chat. As always, if you enjoy the episode, if you like the podcast, uh, be sure to leave it a rating and write a review and follow me on social media at Mandy Slutsker. Without further ado, here is my chat with Jordan. Hi, everyone. I am here with the hilarious Jordan Ross Myers of the Pretty Corrupt podcast. He's also the creator behind the Twitter parody accounts for Lee Radswell and Don Gunvalson. How are you doing, Jordan? Hey, hey, how's it going? It's good. I'm so excited to finally connect with you. I've been following your Twitter parody accounts for quite some time. Oh, God, thank you so much. When did you start the Lee Radswell account? Oh, my God, that's how that's how this all came together. Uh, Lee was it's been going on. What year are we in? I'd say 2012, (laughs) almost a decade. Wow. Yeah, it it started as like almost a joke when around that time, uh, Betty White was taking Twitter by storm. And I was like, who who in that age range wouldn't think everything to register their name as a Twitter account? And then I was just like going through my head. I love the Kennedys. I was like, Lee's still alive. And then, so I just registered it for fun. And then she was still alive at the time, though. So <laughs> I never logged in. And then months later, I logged in for fun. And it had like 800 followers. Like people thought it was her. And it just it just grew and grew, <laughs> and then Carol joined the housewives. So finally, that because she was she's a niche. Um, Lee was a very niche society historical figure, and then when um, Carol joined the housewives, suddenly Radswell became a very prominent. You know, younger people understood who the Radswells were, and then I just launched into the Bravo world from there. Oh my goodness. Where do you keep, like, where do you find all of those photos? Because you have so many historical photos. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, one of the things that she was Jackie's, Jackie Kennedy's sister, they were at the time, the most photographed women in the world. Um, Lee would have been like the Chloe or the Courtney to today's or the Nikki Hilton to today's Kim or Paris. And so there are tons of photos tons and i also have access to getty images which helps um so yeah i mean there are lots i could find a picture for almost anything which is great that's incredible (laughs) and then how did the don gunvalson parody start that one i think it goes back maybe i'd say six years again i was just thinking of like 
Who uh, now? Now I do it all the time. I don't. I don't have any other secret parodies out there anymore. For a long time, I was anonymous. You know, I just yeah. in the past year, year and a half, finally revealed the man behind the the. Um, yeah, but um, with Don, I just started thinking about Bravo figures again who wouldn't think to register their name. <laughs> and so for a while I had David Bedore too. Oh, he I've would sue sh- the shit out of you though. Oh, that got shut down really fast. Yeah. That one was quick. Um, Shannon or uh, David Bedore. I have somewhere a lot. I haven't used it in a long time. Shane Simpson, just kind of like fringe characters who wouldn't think to register their name. It's kind of fun. Don. Don used to be like, I never paid attention to that account. And now it's like listed on Twitter as a Bravo celebrity. I was mentioned on, (laughs) discussed on Access Hollywood the other week. It's like a phenomenon. And so the most recent former Bravo celebrity who got in a spat with you thinking you were the real Don Gunvalson was Mm -hmm. Bethany, obviously. Can you walk me through what happened with that? Okay. Bethany, I've been, by the way, that was a huge honor for me. Like, I <laughs> love getting, I like, it was funny because it was just, it was like late at night, my time. And um, like 11 p.m. I'm going to bed and then my phone starts lighting up and I see it. I didn't skip a beat. I was like, okay, Frankel, I've been waiting for this moment for years. Let's go. <laughs> um, so she came out or she pretended to come out with this new wine it's called like forever young and um you know she the way she was marketing it was it was her new creation just like skinny girl was her creation so i looked it up it's been around since like 2015 2013 she's just a paid she's a paid spokesperson um but of course she was making it uh sound like she had created this wine it's part of her branding empire and so I pointed out in a tweet, I retweeted her with comment, uh, like, fun fact, this brand's been around for 2000, since 2015, like, you're just a paid spokesperson. And I know, and then, like, that was in an after, the afternoon, and then, like, eight hours later, my phone started blowing up, and she was going after me. Like, she thought it was, she thought it was Vicky's real husband, or ex-husband, Don. She didn't understand the parody aspect. And she was tagging Vicky, calling me a troll, a loser. Um, I guess, I, I, you know, she doesn't like her business sense or her business uh, activities to be criticized. And it was fantastic. That got picked up by the press. Didn't you say something like it was like joking about cheater brands? Or was that somebody else that referred to it? Oh, I may have done that. Oh, you know what I did? I told her, fine, I'm coming out with skinny gumbles and margaritas. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when she blocked me. <laughs> that that must have been a true honor to be blocked by Bethany. Also, yeah. it just proves she can't take a joke. Like No. <laughs> she can't. And that's what I don't something I've always said about her, which trips me out. Like I was happy to argue with her. I liked her in the early seasons of New York. Um, she, you could root for her. She was the underdog. She was funny, feisty, whatever. Uh, but you would think with success, she has all that success. She has a, a child she loves, all that stuff. You'd think it would have softened her as a person, but instead it made her really hard edged. 
like kind of there's a cruel streak in her now she's not funny she's out of touch she doesn't know how to read the room either her mm-hmm. tweets her social media is usually off putting i'll give her credit she does amazing philanthropy on that she does some good stuff with that but just as like a person on social media that tv show um that what was it called Big i don't even Shot? know i yeah I couldn't even no handle watching it, got, it. it it got canceled <laughs> but um she doesn't know how to read the room anymore. She's out of touch, but she still thinks she's relatable, and it's not a good mix. That's exactly it. She's out of touch, mm-hmm. but she thinks she's relatable. It is so mm-hmm. infuriating. I do think that her divorce very much hardened her. Yeah. You know, I think she That's really true. trusted him, and she shared her wealth with him, and then he came to try to get everything that she'd ever worked for. And yeah. so that would harden anyone but for her to be unable to just joke ever about anything, mm-hmm. it's, I don't know. A lot of people want her back on New York, and I just don't see it. And I don't think she's needed. No, I don't. Like, New York could definitely use some changes. Mm-hmm. But Bethany's not. They've How many times has Bethany left and come back? I think her last round on the show was her third. I thought it was her second. I thought she only left once. I could be wrong. Okay. She left for Jason. Or, you know, she she did that whole thing, her spinoff. I don't know if it was two or three times. I think at some point, like, she can't be the answer for everything. She can't really look at her latest show. She couldn't carry it more than a season. I don't Mm -hmm. think. I think they need to find fresh blood within the circle of the cast. I 100% agree. Like, if we're going to go into talking about New York, I think that they need some bridge characters, because right Mm -hmm. now it's two shows. It's like the OGs and then Ebony and Leah. And I Mm -hmm. think they need some women who are in their upper 40s to bridge Mm -hmm. between the people in their upper 30s and the women in their upper 50s and Ramona. (laughs) Yeah, because right now, it reminds me of this past season of Pump Rules. Yes. It's really two separate casts, two separate shows. Exactly. And so they just, I want them to make it work as one show by actually mm-hmm. having some cohesiveness, but it just doesn't feel cohesive and there's not enough mm-hmm. people. And I get it's tough to film a season in a city that just experienced the worst aspect of covid and then it's completely shut down so they can't really do anything but Mm -hmm. it's feeling so bare you know and there's like with ebony and her talking about race issues it feels like it's happening all the time but really it's Mm -hmm. only over the course of a couple days but they stretch those days to like six or seven episodes and it feels like that's the only thing that's happening that's a good point i haven't (laughs) thought of it that way because because the city was kind of closed for COVID, whatever events they have, they have to stretch into multiple episodes. Didn't even think of that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because I think Ebony knows how to read a room mm. for the most part. And I think she read the room a little bit when she was in Harlem and realized she wasn't getting the response she wanted and probably was like, okay, I may do this differently next time. Mm-hmm. But they stretched Harlem. They stretched Salem, they're stretching everything. And between Harlem and Salem was like just a couple of days. I don't even know <laughs> if they know who the president is yet. Oh, true. Like this was all happening That's... 
very close together. Mm -hmm. So I'm starting to think like, I think the reason people are getting kind of annoyed of, of sort of things not moving on is because this hasn't happened over a long enough period of time. I think they had a really short season. That's true. I mean, especially at that point. So say we're in November-ish um, when they were filming. They didn't know when the next, the next lockdown would be. So they probably had to pack as much into a short period of time. Yeah. It's like, I almost like feel bad for all of them and how it's being discussed kind of in the media and online. It's like people aren't realizing the timing of things as yeah. much, which I think explains why it feels so mm -hmm. like, like elongated. And it, it, if you compare that to Beverly Hills, you know, we saw just in just one episode, there was the election. And then, mm -hmm. you know, four days later, they found out who won the election. And then it moved mm -hmm. on. And so it wasn't the same level of like trying to stretch and make a day into three or four episodes. Yeah, one thing they've done, which I think is also why this season is getting a very, of New York is getting a very bad reception, um, is like with Okay, if you look at Beverly Hills, the election was, they were filming at the same time. The election was addressed in like one party, one episode, and it was over. Um, with with um, New York, the things, the issues of politics and race, um, it's not that we've moved on that much, but it's taking us back to those very stressful months from last year. Yeah. We don't want to relive it. Beverly Hills, it happens. It happens in like 10 minutes on the show. And, you know, you know, New York, it's like we're reliving things that weren't very fun to live through. And we're just getting past that. Right. And specifically those days between November 3rd and November 7th were just mm -hmm. so awful for, I think, everyone in the United States at that time. Because, you know, we had this election. Everyone was on edge. Everything was boarded up. People were anticipating for violence and all kinds of scary stuff. And, yeah. and you know, a coup. Who knows? <laughs> People had no <laughs> idea what was going to come. That happened later. And um, then you've, you know, and then we finally found out. And there was sort of like a relief, at least, to know who won. And, yeah, some um, and for people like me, a relief just overall <laughs> at who won. Yeah, same, <laughs> and and, <same>. so, and <laughs> what's so crazy is we're watching New York happen. But what's everything that's happening between November 3rd and November 7th has been like five or six episodes. So those worst days of like, you know, our year or some of the worst days are we're watching them live that very painful, scary, anxious time. And I'm sure yeah. Ebony is like, well, now is the time I want to use this to educate, to mm -hmm. talk about this, to bring it to the surface. And it was just at the top of everyone's mind. And now it's been six, seven months. People aren't really more actually since the election people aren't really thinking about it top of mind and none of these mm -hmm. issues i think feel as acute as they did during Absolutely. that week and so i think there's a mismatch between that and what we're witnessing on tv and like how we we feel totally because like um yeah like you said the feelings aren't as sharp we've begun to move on and also like something it reminds like um how do we put it? Uh, well, like, Housewives are supposed to be a, an escape from that. 
those yeah. are very real heavy topics that were threatening a lot you know very they weighed heavily on a lot of people and that's not what we watch for i'd rather watch a i'd rather watch bickering over a birkin or who gets the larger suite um that's what i watch for you know yeah your, know. your house is leased your husband's cheating i don't and this is like that's not what, yeah, I don't turn to, I don't turn to Bravo for my political guidance, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I know what's hard is that there seems to be convergence on New York between what's happening in politics and then everything with race relations. And it's happening in this country, too. But I know that so many people, when they're talking about Black Lives Matter, are like, this is an issue of fundamental human rights. Let's separate mm-hmm. it from, like, the traditional party politics. It's kind of hard to do that, but people like to like to try. And then in this case, when you're talking about Donald Trump in particular and white supremacy, it's like politics. And that's something yeah. that so many people feel uncomfortable with and don't want to talk about. And clearly Ramona doesn't. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of pretty dark stuff that has happened um, on The Real Housewives that we, I don't know, I don't know what it says about us that we like to escape by watching other people's trauma. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Is it you know? is it terrible that I would prefer Russell Arm the Russell Armstrong, Taylor Armstrong oh story to, to dealing with Ramona and her political, you know, yeah. dealing with this season of reliving that. Um Yeah, no, it's not fun. It's like I said, we're trying to escape it, and this show's like six months later, we're breaking free of it in. But dragging your right specifically back Donald Trump is what not not white supremacy, but we're breaking yeah. free of Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and and I get it. Like I think people are like, okay, let's move on from Trump. Let's move on from Trump. But yeah, it, at the time, you know, that was what was happening. So I do feel like Ebony has a lot of potential as a housewife. I really do. I personally feel like Leah is dragging her down and making her a lot less likable than I think she probably really is. I I agree. I don't like Leah at all. No, and I, I can't. I was thinking like, oh, if she gets a third season, then maybe that'll be the real her. Like maybe the first season mm-hmm. she was edited to look really funny and sharp and witty and everyone loved mm-hmm. her not everyone but a lot of people and then the second I liked season her more last it was season. like a a big you know a I think she I think it went to I think the validation of being renewed went to her head and she thinks she's really cool and edgy and she really not so much she's she reminds me of like a teenager rebelling against her pa- her mother or something or her aunts. Yeah. It's not a great fit. I know. She's and what's hard for me is watching Ebony try and get through to Ramona when I think Ramona's the type of person that you can't really get through to. But yeah. not really working or not we're not witnessing her work on getting through to Leah, who I see as someone that you could actually bring into a coalition uh, to mm-hmm. fight racism. Meanwhile, Leah is the kind of person that just doesn't even vote. Yeah. So it's like and she, she's so <laughs> self righteous, and she she insists she's a, such a she's a much better person than all these other women. She can't be bothered to vote. Right. I mean that was. Yeah, I don't find her this season. Last season, 
I liked her. I wasn't a huge fan of Leah, but I was like, okay, she's good. She's pulling her weight on the show. Uh, this season, though, it never works, too, when people frame a new cast member as the second coming of or a replacement of. She was set up to be a replacement for Bethany, and she clearly studied Bethany. Uh, clear, uh, she brings up, another thing she does is bring up issues from seasons she wasn't even on the show, which is breaking the fourth wall or fifth, I don't know, <laughs> whatever wall that is. Um, and yeah, no, it went to her head with like Bethany did earn her hubris on the show. I mean, she really carried the show and very successful because of it. Leah just thinks that she thinks she's edgy and she's not. She yeah. like, I don't, you know, she went to something, you know, she talks about how she's a downtown girl and she's not like those Upper East Side women, blah, blah, blah. She went to high school, the same high school as Avery Singer, and she was the same high school, private school. Uh, She was classmates with Nikki and Paris Hilton. Yeah. So on the, like, Upper East Side, I think it is, uh, Sacred Heart. Yeah, Yeah, the Catholic school. Yeah. She's not exactly, like, you know, on the subway hustling for spare change as a kid. (laughs) Yeah, she's it's just tough because no one makes her likable. Like when even when she's hanging out with the other women and not Ebony, Mm -hmm. she's still unlikable. Yet when Ebony is hanging out with Sonia, Ebony's incredibly likable. So I think the fault is with Leah. And I think Leah maybe needs to be demoted to a friend of Mm -hmm. or potentially needs to go. Like there's something too immature about her. Um, Whereas I see Ebony has a lot of maturity so i actually think she can hang with women in their 50s and 60s easily i think she could probably hang with it with anyone but um yeah there definitely needs to be some people in the middle last year it was tinsley that kind of you know at least made make sense for leah to be part of the cast and then it was super weird when she was gone but now it's just like who (laughs) yeah that's true tinsley (laughs) Yeah, Tinsley did act as a bridge between them. I mean, she's very, her world is very Upper East Side, Luann, that kind of Sonia, that kind of world. But she's young enough and a little bit more relaxed than them to relate to Leah. But uh, without it, Leah's just like an outlier. It doesn't really make sense. It doesn't. Yeah. What do you think of Sonia and, and Bershawn and everything that happened this week with Bershawn telling all the women they were boring and grandmas and Sonia's a clown and, you know, all of that? I think that was a bad move on her part, using, like, the grandma move. Because one thing I have to say Bravo does, there's always been an argument whether it's very feminist to uh, give them the platform or if andy or the network sets these women up to tear each other down they do give starring roles and job opportunities to women who are past their starlet days you Mm -hmm. know so to feature like when you think about it someone like ramona especially ramona um sonia and luann are in their later 50s at this point these are the age of the golden girls Mm -hmm. when the show when the golden girls started but they show them having they're cool you know they live pretty cool lives young part you know partying drinking fun like showing harry dubin (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly i mean so i don't 
I think the grandma thing was <clears throat> miscalculated because people, there are grandmas on those Nat shows. And I think, and it seems like people like the older cast members more than the younger ones. I like the, I, not just the older, but like the idea of older women. Like, mm-hmm. It's not necessarily have to be these women, but just women who are of a certain age, like in their 50s and 60s. I don't want women in their 60s to get cut. I, Kathy Hilton's in her 60s. Yeah. She's fantastic. And mm-hmm. yeah, so I don't like the trending too young with the exception of Potomac, because the women on Potomac, even though they're young, are just, they bring it every yeah. time. They are so good. So that's the only place I make an exception. Mm -hmm. i agree potomac um i like yeah like ashley Ashley. i enjoy ashley me too i enjoy all of them i think that's Mm -hmm. one of the only them and then also jersey where i'm like there is a role for each of you i don't really Mm -hmm. enjoy Teresa, but i get why she's on the show i actually enjoy watching all of the women on potomac and maybe i'm in the minority Mm -hmm. like a ton of people can't stand candace I think there are things that are likable about her, you know? She's fun. I mean, I think, see, where I would say Leah and Candace kind of occupy the same role coming in as the youngest or the younger one, a little bit more immature, I find Candace way more likable. Even her issues with her mother, even her anger issues, um, her own anger issues. And there's a, like you said, there's a place for her in that cast. Um, this season we're getting to witness her be a stepmom. You know, they didn't yeah. have that before. And that truly brings out a softer side of mm-hmm. her. Watching her with her husband when they're not arguing, when they're getting along, which is a lot of the time is yeah. very endearing. Um, but it's funny that you say she's the younger one because I actually think Ashley is younger than Candace. But because really? she's married to such an old fart and because she's a mom and stuff, I think yeah, it true. makes her... But she was brought on. I think she's one of the only housewives that was brought on in her their twenties. Okay, um, Ashley. Yeah, when or, her uh, first yeah. season, she was like twenty six. Wow, <laughs> I can't insane. imagine. How, I can't imagine having that when she started as a full time real housewife. She was younger than most of the servers on Pump Rules when that show started. I know. That's a mature position to assume at that age. She did so well Mm -hmm. on this show. She's like grown into a young woman. She's been messy, but we've also, you know, gotten a chance to get to know her and what makes her her and all of her issues with her dad and Michael and all of that. Do you think that someone like Michael should be allowed to film after what happened with him, you know, grabbing a a cameraman? Mm -hmm. I think if the, I think if the crew is comfortable with it, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't tried, right? So it was kind of dropped. Yeah, it was dropped. It's just tough. You know, I think. I mean, yeah, I would feel as an, I can see why it's an HR nightmare, but I mean, like <laughs> you kind of need everyone to sign off on it. Cause he really did cross a line Yeah, and it's not something that people should be subjected to, but 
Now, one thing, um, I know you aren't entirely caught up on this episode of Potomac, but one thing I wanted Mm -hmm. to talk to you about is Wendy and her new look. (laughs) So she has all the women over for this nude interlude party to show off her new boobs and her butt. But when she's there, they keep asking her, or Mia, the new woman, who's also had some work done asks, you know, like, did you just have your boobs done? And Wendy's like, I had some other tweaks. And then Wendy claims on social media that she said that she got a Brazilian butt lift on camera, but that it was cut. Mm. Um, But on the show, you're watching and she's like, clearly got her butt done. They show before and after. And it's not being said, you know, by her. Um, and I thought maybe she was trying to cover it up or trying to, for whatever reason. And then I did this deep dive this week where I looked into like, what is a Brazilian butt lift? And yeah. it's different than a butt lift or a butt implant in that it like takes fat from parts of your body through liposuction and they insert it into your butt. And it's apparently super deadly. If you get it done with a board certified plastic surgeon, in the U.S., there's still a fatality rate of one in three thousand. Wow! So it's super invasive because those are so. This one procedure, this one surgery, is actually multiple procedures at once. Yeah, lipo, re- yeah. And they put it back in, and it, I guess the reason it's so dangerous is that the doctor, or the surgeon, has to feel where to insert the fat. They can't really rely on knowing that they're inserting fat in the proper place. And fat can actually make its way into um, the bloodstream that goes there, the arteries, and then travel to the heart or other organs and cause an embolism, which is what causes the death. And it is so scary to me that someone as smart as Wendy would be willing to go through procedure like that. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) You know, what about everyone else who doesn't have four degrees? <laughs> you yeah. know, like, shouldn't she research this? Like, did she still decide that it was worth the risk? Yeah, that's really invasive and risky. And I suppose because she leads, obviously, with her education and her yes, accomplishments. Exactly. <laughs> so her follow-up season, she's <laughs> she pops <laughs> off with her follow-up season right after one of the most dangerous surgery, cosmetic surgeries you could possibly have. It's so dangerous that Dr. Terry Dubrow won't do the procedure and won't recommend oh. it. Mm-hmm. So, I don't yeah. know. I, I just <laughs> can't get over it. I just, I can't. And see, this is where I realize that Wendy is a great housewife because there's something off about her. She's not as perfect mm-hmm. as she came across on season one. There's something off with her um, that she would do the surgery and that, you know, there's always something off with people when they end up on the show. And when they seem too normal, at some point you realize, oh, no, 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 that that's why you're on. And I'm waiting to see it from Ebony because there's got to be something right. Like every I don't I've come to realize like every anyone who would join those shows has some kind of personality disorder. Yes. Um, there's <laughs> a, a truly normal person is not going to put themselves on that platform. Um, so everyone has something like people like to, uh, 
um, romanticize some of their favorite housewives as these saints or these philanthropists, or then demonize others as like evil sociopaths. And like they signed up for the show, they're all they all have a touch of um, they're all a touch of sociopath in them. They're narcissists. Yeah, they're narcissists. Um, yeah, all even the them. most like easygoing ones, and the network picks them because of it. For every every new cast member, they probably interview dozens and dozens. They see that little spark of something, like you said, something off. That's why they get on the show. And I think the narcissism really truly does protect them in mm-hmm. a way because true narcissists, like, well, they can't handle criticism. A lot of them can block it out because they're like, oh, that's bullshit. Like, I'm I'm fantastic. Like, you can't listen. They're just haters. You know, like, they have that kind of inner monologue. Like Ramona, like, Bethany. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, the rest of us don't have where we hear something negative about ourselves and it really affects us. Like, the greats can kind of – like, that's why Kelly Dodd was able to get through this last season even with all of the hate against her, because she had an inner monologue being like, they're all just haters. They're all Democrats. They're all whatever. And that's why they hate me. <laughs> like, yeah. it, not letting it really get to her. And yeah, she couldn't absorb any criticism. And I think, you know, same with, I don't know, like you don't see Karen, you know, Huger caring about people criticize or Giselle, like they just rise, they just rise above and they keep going. Yeah, they have like a, they have like an inner protective shield that doesn't let them really process things that are negative about themselves. Right. It's Only about amazing. others. They yes. love when it's about <laughs> others. <laughs> and they always, they thrive in situations where they view themselves as the victim. Because they're always the victim, which is why these fights continue. Because they have such difficulty putting themselves in other people's shoes. Yeah. Well, let's get into Beverly Hills. Because you just told me before we started recording that your agent, is it your agent? Manager. Manager yeah. is the same manager for Kathy and Kyle and any other Richard sister. <laughs> uh, she, well, yeah, she's, um, she is uh, the manager for uh, Kyle, Kim, Brandy, Reza, like a lot of LA people. I'm good friends with Brandy. The others, I have to say, I'm not going to pretend I'm in Bel Air hanging with the Hiltons or anything like that. Brandy and I, Brandy Glanville and I are really cool, though. She's a good friend. Oh, what's she like in real life besides having a personality disorder, as everyone does who's <laughs> on these shows? She's so cool. You know, she's all in real life. You know, when you're on TV, it's another thing the persona that you have to play. With like these heights and because she's all the fun parts of what she was like on TV without any of that drama. She's never thrown wine in my face. Okay. <laughs> you know, she's really cool. But when you're on a show like that, you do need to bring it. And so yeah, she she certainly brings it when she the cameras are on. But no, in person she's so nice, like a really good friend. Never she's never like she's never slapped me in the face (laughs) thrown a glass at me is she really upset she wasn't asked back this season i don't i don't i don't really i can't really like get into her head about that but um i mean you know every season you want to be asked back on yeah um 
she has i'm sure she has things in the works though but um yeah so yeah (laughs) (laughs) so what do you know about kathy hilton if you guys share a manager like is she truly kathy does herself um she i i'm not uh it's uh kim and kyle just kim and kyle yeah, Kathy. Um, Wait, Kathy doesn't have someone who manages her. Like she's, I'm. You know, I, I, to be honest, <laughs> I'm not too sure about her. How, like, believe me, if I, I'd love to find out, but I can't. Yeah, uh, pry too much. Okay. I don't want any restraining orders. But <laughs> no, um, I was always like that. Was part of what. Um, what got me with things like Lee, like I'm like, there's this, uh, I'm so glad they brought her on the show because it's a difference that she's, Oh, we were just talking. She's the, um, she's like the richest housewife. Bravo has not just housewife. She's the richest person. Bravo's ever brought on the network. It's a whole new strata van. She could buy and sell Vanderpump. She could buy and sell, you know, buy and sell Beth. Bethany used to be her personal assistant. Wait, like, what? How come? Is that how Bethany knew Kyle? Yeah. Back oh. in like the 90s when per- Paris and Nikki were teens, uh, Bethany was out in LA trying to make it as an actress. Uh, p- she was hustling to get on TV for years. And um, she became friends with Kyle. And Kathy needed just like a, an assistant to drive the kids to school, run errands, stuff like that. And that's, and Kyle got. Bethany the job with Kathy. They've spawned a lot. Uh, Kim Kardashian used to be Paris's like closet organizer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one I knew. That one I yeah. knew. So uh, where were yeah, but um no, so I'm really excited because it's uh, I've always viewed Beverly Hills and also do um, you know, also New York, but they're like the flagship brands. Beverly Hills may not have the top ratings, but look at the budget they're given by Bravo. Uh, the true. trips they go on it's like a it's a different world than say orange county even though mm-hmm. it's like an hour away except for heather dubrow they're mostly like suburban upper middle class these people are like private jets bentley's uh 20 kathy's house is probably like 40 million i mean you know like big like it's a fantasy it's like lifestyles of the rich and famous yeah it's truly like that I always thought, well, I wonder, have they ever, has anyone ever done an in-depth look at, like, each franchise's budget? Because I think Atlanta's budget has been pretty good. They went to South Africa one yeah. season. Oh, they're good. And their, um, their salary budget, is, is their salary cap is bigger than the other networks. Yeah. But um, things like you see Dallas, I think last, <laughs> Dallas is so bad. I think last season they went, like they get like camping trips or things like that. I know, that. I know. And uh, Beverly, New York too. Orange County, where do they go? Like Cabo, Puerto Vallarta. I mean, they've had a couple trips to Europe, but like Beverly Hills is like Dubai, Hong Kong, Rome, parrot so yeah the idea is it's supposed to be that world it's yeah. more exciting to me i think atlanta has a good one because they've gone to greece and south africa yeah. and some other places like they atlanta probably have the two best trips because i feel like new york could have good trips but they always feel like they go to mexico yeah 
Mexico or the islands, like yeah, somewhere like they the bounce Caribbean. between Turks and Caicos. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, you're right. They have their trips to they've had a couple trips to London that were mediocre. There was one a real cast oh, it was Carol's first cast trip with uh Luann, and then she went back uh to retrieve Anthony's ashes with, with Dorinda. Dorinda. Yeah. But you're right. And if it's not like a trip to Florida, the Caribbean, or Mexico. It's their vacation homes. Yeah. Berkshires or yeah, the Hamptons. Yeah, Interesting. So getting to this week's Beverly Hills, what did you think of the feud between Sutton and Crystal? I think I'm on Team Sutton. What about really? you? I um, probably Crystal, but I mm-hmm. like them both very much on the show. That's true. I, I should say, because I've been seeing a lot of discourse about that online. You can like both in a feud. And I do. I don't think Crystal's horrible. I just, I think her, well, you know, today, this episode, she did make headway with what did she retract the manic state? That was the thing that I thought she really did wrong was mm. use that term knowing yeah. uh, she didn't know necessarily why Sutton's father killed himself, but mm. um, it is a common time when people commit suicide is when they are manic. Yeah. And so I think she could have shown more, I don't know, kind I don't know what the right word is, but understanding of yeah, like words compassion. around yeah, compassion around mental illness issues. Um yeah. after Sutton had, you know, divulged that very personal piece of her family mm-hmm. history to to Crystal. At the same time, like the word that Crystal used, violate, is means however you want to interpret it. And it could be a violation mm-hmm. of just privacy. And she shouldn't be expected to retract it. I think Sutton just needs to get over it, that someone mm-hmm. may not like how she behaved. <laughs> you know, yeah. just move on. <laughs> Make a joke think, like what she did at the end when she was like, lock your door. Yeah. I think it was uh, Crystal. It was a little bit of stubbornness, but you you need that in a housewife. Oh, you definitely need it. Yeah. I mean, because like the, all the women kind of sat her down individually and were like, you need to understand in modern, in this context, violate implies something like she had been mal- like, because like that. Sutton was a predator. Yeah. That's how I think they all were taking it. But, like, I don't think viewers were taking it that way. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone just needs to move on. What I didn't like was pressing Sutton or pressing Crystal to take back something, but not pressing Sutton to do anything different. Yeah. At the same time, the other thing I realized is that we as the audience all saw the – terrible white fragility of Sutton just freaking out at the conversation and completely shutting down Crystal when she's talking about being an Asian American. Um, I forgot about that. But the other housewives, aside from Kyle, had not seen that. They And and I don't even know how many knew about that. And so for me, I'm kind of like, ooh, Sutton, like, that wasn't a good moment. It was a horrible a... moment. And if I were Crystal, I would be pretty salty about everything related to Sutton and her tears. Because whenever she wants to sort of shut down a conversation, she cries. And then everyone yeah. 
tries to console her. And this week, you know, Crystal was like, you know, you're an inappropriate, awkward person and you cry to get empathy and it's not going to work on me. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> this is a fantastic housewife. And yeah. this is, it's okay not to go like console someone who's crying if all other eight people are doing it. Mm-hmm. So that's true. Crystal can hold her on. She can. She's beautiful. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. I can look at. I love her outfits. I love her ugly leather pants. <laughs> <laughs> I did look because you know Sutton's not normally. I'm not a huge fan of hers. I enjoy her. She's she's okay. She's a good. At least she does have money. You know, it's not one of those like Dorit finances thing, like financials. So she's she's at least legitimately. Um, she lives in Bel Air, um, so she's legit. But, I mean, she doesn't bring that much to the table. She had one funny line early in this episode when she was like, uh, what did she say? I, I have to take that back. I said something wrong. I think they were pleather. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> I was like, that's pretty witty for you, Sutton. What I love about Sutton is that she's disruptive in the dynamic of these mm-hmm. women, that they don't like to question each other. Um, they kind of have this oath, I don't know, between like Kyle and Dorit and Rinna and Erica, where mm-hmm. you just don't talk about certain things and you don't you know, talk about each other's lawsuits or whatever. And I feel like Sutton is very disruptive to that in a chaotic way, whereas Garcelle is more calculated and thoughtful. I think yeah. Sutton doesn't even like know how to calculate. She's just... <laughs> kind of all over the place. So I'm a big fan of like the Kathy Garcelle Sutton Crystal aspect of the show. Yeah, I think it's a good cast. I mean you have um you have Kathy, which is a big get for them. Um Sutton's Sutton's like a place filler. I don't think she drives it. What do you think about the Erica coverage? Okay, so we (laughs) need to get into this. I think, I think a lot of things, but I mean, there's only a couple things we know as fact and everything else is just people's like beliefs or gut feelings. And the only fact we know is that she took $20 million to her company, EJ Global, directly from Girardi Keys. And so that was from a business account to her business account. And I think she's a smart woman. And I don't know why his law firm would be funding her business. Mm -hmm. So that seems shady to me. Like, why wouldn't that money go through his personal account? Like if he made 20 million and just deposited in his wife's business account, that would make a whole lot more sense to me, even if it was with stolen money, right? Yeah, yeah. Then coming directly from a business account. And that's sort of the only forensic evidence we have that, and her, she's her signing some things. But, and the fact that um, she was deposed or he was deposed or something in May 2020 and in September 2020. So, I don't believe that this week on the show was the first time that she realized that he had defrauded people, but maybe who he had defrauded. Yeah, I've been, I was trying, like today, I was trying, 
I thought last night's performance of hers was ridiculous, to be honest. It does. It was like, I think it was Camille Grammer who pointed out. Did you see? Oh yeah, um, that when she was in the ocean, her mascara didn't run, but she yeah, clearly she put on, wore. Yeah, and she was wearing fake lashes. Like, do you need all that? So that was a setup. Um, I the way I would say I not gonna con- I don't think she knew everything going on. I don't think she oh, was yeah. as equal co-conspirator. But I I won't. But I won't say she's innocent. Like she has her hands dirty. She had to know more. This is a very orchestrated, um, per- like calculated performance on the show. Um, she knew before. She knew before she filed. At least she's playing dumb right now. She yeah. She knew. I think she knew before she point. filed. But what was interesting was that when that producer was like, when did you first hear about the these lawsuits? And yeah. she wouldn't answer. Um, so I, that indicates she knew before. But I don't think she knew before this all went down. Like with the yeah, lawsuits. Yeah, I don't think he like came home at night and was like, hey, I'm about to score 15 mil. It's going to go through this. I do believe he kept her in the dark on a lot of things. But part of the other thing, too, is how, regardless of how guilty she is in this process, this is a woman who was so cold, so ostentatious, um, so arrogant. You can't, I can't sympathize with her. She made songs with stolen money, whether she knew or not, but expensive to be me. Um, it's hard to sympathize with her. It's not like she's ever shown a human moment before this yeah i mean well she she did a dance with the devil by marrying for money and not for love and then Mm -hmm. you know the money ended up drying up and now she's stuck in this situation he brought everyone in you know you know that the courts i think it was wrong this week or last week they cleared the way for um victims to sue erica directly oh a hundred percent. And that's where she's going to get in trouble is in civil court, not in criminal court. Mm-hmm. There's no evidence, yeah. as of we know, to tie her to doing any criminal wrongdoing. She's not going to end up mm-hmm. in jail or whatever all these people are saying on social media. That's not happening. Yeah, no, it's all civil, financial. But it's all financial and civil. And so, like, part of me wants her to stay on the show so we can, one, see her try to live off the salary that she has to to actually earn Mm -hmm. and also so that she can pay back those victims because she can't pay them back with money she doesn't have um, if she spent all that money she has to earn it back to pay it back and you know i would like to know where that 20 million i mean sure there will be forensics on everything um that's the other thing maybe she i don't know if she was a part of the crime as far as but i think she's been a part of the cover-up longer than you hear the rumors right about how she shut play um moving money around hiding things she hasn't turned over requested documents and accounts Mm -hmm. um she was supposed to have a lot of jewelry um they showed that was something i liked first episode of this season the editors her you know she's getting ready for that party she brings out this huge oh mikey brings out from her vault she says from the private Erica collection. And it was this like, God, it was worth hundreds of thousands, white and canary diamond necklace. 
it was like Marie Antoinette and they were <laughs> setting her up to send her to the guillotine. It's just wild. I don't know. It's I I don't think she knew about these crimes or where the money was coming from. And I don't think when, you know, you're in a situation where your husband's been always been making a lot of money and you've been living a lifestyle that you ask a whole lot of questions. You're like, he's successful. He's clearly making this money from his law firm. Yeah. But once you find out that that's where I think that's the part, that's where she's gone wrong, where if you're going to say nothing, say nothing, but don't post on social media, thirst trap photos. Don't Mm. have the, you know, caricature of yourself with the diamonds or the widows and orphans earrings. Like don't do those things because you are speaking. Then if she said nothing, because it's, you know, what her attorneys were telling her to do, then fine. Mm. I respect that. You speak at a time when it makes sense to speak for you legally. But to say she yeah. can't speak because her attorneys are telling her not to, but then she's posting things on social media that are very crass and devoid mm-hmm. of any sympathy. It's that's And then while what I, on yeah. the show crying and saying she's a victim, it's not, she has a crisis PR manager right now. Who buys this is a good scoop for you. The same, <laughs> it's she has a crisis PR manager, right? Or crisis publicist team, right? PR team, right now, who was also hired by one of the conservators of Britney Spears' conservatorship to help spin their role in the story in the case. Wow, Britney's case. Which conservator? I don't know which one, but um. I don't think it's the father because he's not looking too good right now. <laughs> no, but, who could um, re- repair his you, PR. Yeah, because you know, kind of like uh, Erica bowed out of that marriage. Uh, you know, the cons- a lot of conservators are resigning from Britney's estate right now, and they're hiring. Um, I'm not sure which conservator, but her and Erica are both using the same crisis publicist. Okay. Wow. And, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah, with Erica, I mean, I don't know if that divorce is a sham to hide assets or if she just was like, I want to get as far away from you as possible because I know you're going to get in trouble now. But I don't know. The whole thing is just she is a victim of 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 Tom in a way. But not a victim of a crime. It's just he she he sold her a lifestyle. Right. Mm -hmm. And she bought into it for over 20 years. And then all of a sudden it was taken away from her and she got used to it. And I think she's so used to that lifestyle that she's crying about losing the lifestyle, not losing Mm -hmm. the love or the marriage or anything, but the lifestyle and that she was tricked. And that, I think, is what's getting at her and why she's so upset is she has to get rid of the lifestyle. And I think she also fancies herself to be a very smart woman. And this is proving that she has done some really stupid things. Yeah. I mean, the hubris she had. She, yeah. I mean, think about her. Con- Once she even, I remember what we were talking about Bethany earlier when they did a crossover and she made a remark about Bethany, at least I'm not selling cookies or something. Um, yeah, she always thought she was wealthier, better, smarter. Nope. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> she she flew too close to the sun. And I mean, she must be feel humiliated. 
but yeah. she deserves it. I mean, if I this know. happened to someone yeah. like, I'd say if this happened to someone like Kyle, the Mauricio turned out, which he is not, but I'm just saying if it happened to someone, Kyle shows a human side. You see her as a mother, you see her as a sister. Um, she is a she's a good friend to some of these women on the show and comforts them. You would be, you would feel bad for her, but Erica, Erica was never really nice or open or kind, and so or humble, and so it's kind of like fun to see how. Yeah, it's really fascinating that now she wants us to believe her when she wanted us to believe her for the last five years where she was telling us that she married him for love and they had a wonderful partnership and he supported her and all of her dreams. And so Mm -hmm. we were fed this narrative and now she's saying, oh, none of that was true. I was hiding everything. Yeah, believe me now. Believe me now. And that's that's what's hard. Now, the only, not excuse, but reasoning I could give her on this is if she was saying it to try and convince herself. Mm-hmm. Like if she was trying to keep up this narrative because she had to keep telling herself that he loved her and he cared about her and he respected mm-hmm. her. But I also can see the relationship going downhill after her going on the show where then she's more famous than him in a lot of circles. And I'm sure he didn't like that. Yeah. A lot of, I mean, I call it Camille grammar syndrome. A lot, a lot of, well, maybe what you're saying is different than it, but you know, there are some husbands are now real ex husbands who set their wives up to go on the show and then Mm -hmm. they ditch them. But for him, maybe it just changed the dynamic as a because she talks about the power dynamic, the balance in it. And now she had her own voice, her own income, her own recognition. He may have resented that. I think he did. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. This whole thing is so crazy. Speaking of Kyle being um have showing a human side, mm-hmm. I I think this season I've liked Kyle more than I've ever liked Kyle. Uh-huh. Um and I huge part of that is just like watching how she dealt with COVID and hearing her talk to Kathy. Kathy humanizes her a bit, but hearing her cry about being a mom during the pandemic and dealing with having a 12 year old daughter who's completely removed from everything. And then being worried that her daughter isn't missing her friends and is getting too used to being at home. Yeah. That was the most relatable thing I think I've seen this season you know, mm-hmm. COVID related. Yeah. Really? Cause yeah, that was, I had no, I don't have kids. So I had never thought about that, but yeah, like when she said that it was really, she was worried that her daughter, like, I guess depression almost yeah. is like, she doesn't want to leave the house. She doesn't, she's an amazing mother. Like she wasn't lying yeah. when she said that on the show. Her kids come before the show. I mean, she one of the few <laughs> housewives who are like that, always. And she was saying that that's kind of where she derives so much of who she is and what, what why she wakes up every day is to, like, be a mom and be a good mom. And she's proud of it. And now she's like, I feel like I'm not being a good mom. I don't know how to be a good mom in this situation. Yeah. And at this point, you have to remember – like, we still didn't have the information about the vaccines coming. We, mm-hmm. it just, everything was just really dark. And and it was during, like, the big uptick in the cases in LA and mm-hmm. everywhere. And it's just, no one knew when it was ending. 
and it's like yeah. the darkest part of the year. It was just like all shit. And <laughs> it was very relatable to see her having this human reaction. Now, I think if we were still in a terrible, terrible spot with COVID and there was no vaccine and there were thousands of people dying a day, that we wouldn't want to watch it. It would mm-hmm. be like watching Ebony and Ramona talk about the election. We would be like, no, no, I can't do you handle remember, it. <laughs> do you remember our last season of Orange County? I mean, it was, it opens, uh, the season was basically about COVID and we were still in the throes of COVID. Yeah. I watched like half an episode and was like, <coughs> this is, we're still in this mess. Like it's not an escape. I know. I think I was the only person who watched um, the entire season. <laughs> I couldn't. I watch all the seasons of, of <laughs> right now, at least of all the franchises. I even watched yeah. Dallas, and that that one got really tough. Mm. Yeah. Oh man! Well, thank you so much for joining and for being on this podcast. You know, can you tell everyone where they can catch Pretty Corrupt podcast and what it's about? Oh, that's right. <laughs> so I have a podcast, uh, pretty, um, I have a podcast with two of my uh, co-hosts, Stacey Noel Connor and Nate Safer. Uh, it's called The Pretty Corrupt Podcast on Storic Media. Um, you can find us on all platforms, uh, streaming platforms. Um, our Instagram is Pretty Corrupt Podcast. Our Twitter is pretty, at Pretty Corrupt One. And what we do is take you into the higher the higher end of pop culture and we take you inside LA and particularly Beverly Hills. So that's why, that's why we talk about things like um, Kathy, Candy Spelling, uh, the Beverly, you know, the history of like the Beverly Hills, a lot of, um, how would I put it? Life's lifestyles of the rich and infamous. And infamous. You did um, an episode recently about the Perez Hilton like heyday mm-hmm. era that was really yeah. interesting yeah well, you know the i i call them the glory days some may not but mid-2000s the D- Lindsay lohan paris the duis like uh, yeah i like it it's a it's la pop culture yeah it's certainly fascinating and then where yeah. can everyone find you on social media Oh god, I have so many accounts. <laughs> um, so I am jo- I'm jo- at Twitter and Instagram Jordan Ross Myers. Uh, but what I'm known for Twitter and Instagram, I'm sorry. On Twitter, I'm Lee Radswell and Don Gunvalson. And then my podcast is Pretty Corrupt Podcast. I love it. Thank you so mm-hmm. much, Jordan. Any kind no, of, thank you for having me. <laughs> any kind of final thoughts on Beverly Hills or New York or any of the shows? I'd like to know how the reunion will play out with Erica. Yeah. She can't really answer questions. So hmm. when there's a pull an Adrian Malouf. I don't think she will because I think she needs this income. True. And Adrian Maloof didn't need any income from this show. That's a good point. I think she is desperately in need, and I don't think she will breach that contract because I think she wants to be invited back. And I wonder, she'll play, I wonder like, how that works. Because it's not really court. You don't really have to say plead the fifth to Andy Cohen. But we'll see. It should be coming up. I think she 
probably would say my I've been advised by my attorneys not to mm-hmm. talk about this particular thing. But yeah. I think, you know, she'll answer some pretty tough questions. Mm-hmm. Um, Fingers crossed. I think, I mean, I feel like she's telling us more than we ever thought we would even hear. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing, you know, what where she's living, what that looks like, all of that, which... I don't know. She's been more open than she's ever been. I don't know if it's honest, but she's being... That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I, it's, <laughs> it's like she's being vocal, but I don't know if she's saying the truth. But yeah, we'll I, see. I mean, it does, it's that Erica has helped distract BH from um, the election era, unlike New York. At least they have this story to run with. Right. And I think what I am hoping to hear from her is kind of a question the last five years we've seen you on the show, you've been saying all these wonderful things about Tom. Like, was that all a lie? Did you believe it? And she probably will say, oh, it's, it was really complicated. There were things that were great. And then there were things that were pretty awful. And I kind of hid those things. And I tried to block them out. Yeah, you know, which is what I think happened. And it's why did she try and block those things out? Because she was comfortable with her lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure that when Tom was younger, and, you know, in his 60s or whatever, he was probably very different, maybe more loving and, you know, enjoyed her the way that she was as Mrs. Girardi, not as Erica Jane yeah. on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Yeah. I give Garcel credit when she said she should have waited him out. They didn't know at that point. Oh, when Garcel, yeah. Was, <laughs> at that point, they didn't know how broke he was. Yeah. But totally, that would have been my logic. <laughs> Wait him out. Yeah, I think when Get that happened, benefits. it all made sense to Garcelle. Like, oh, that's yeah. why she's... But at the same time, Garcelle said, hey, I know from personal experience that husbands can have secrets that they keep from their wives. Mm-hmm. So... That's... One good thing Beverly Hills gives is divorces. Yeah, Russell... I, I don't I don't want to say good because um, some of these are tragic. Russell and Taylor Armstrong. Yeah. But interesting... Camille Grammer, that who kind of had shades of Erica with that hubris about her husband and how powerful that they, they do give us some good stuff. <laughs> That's very true because didn't she know things were going poorly with Kelsey while she filmed season one, and yet still yeah. was talking about how great he was and oh Kelsey the other loves women were this. Jealous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ooh, there are some pretty distinct similarities between Camille yeah. Grammer and Erica Girardi. Except at least Camille got a ton of money, though. Yeah. She she made out well. Because <laughs> Kelsey had a ton of money. <laughs> yeah. She was there. They didn't have a prenup. And she was there for the Fraser days, so she was entitled to it. Yeah. Wow. Well. well Thank you so much, Jordan. No, thank we'll you. We'll have to chat again. and Definitely. Will... You should come on my pod sometime. Yes. Let me know. Anytime. Yeah, maybe we should explore. I'll think of something to explore. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Have a good one.